Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. Merry Christmas to you. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and today we're continuing in our series called Great Expectations, really using Charles Dickens' great work. I realize it's not his classic Christmas uh, writing, but we're using that as the basis, the springboard, if you will, uh, for this series, because one of the things that uh, I'm sure that you realize and uh, we all realize is that this time of year is very much defined by expectations. We have expectations in a thousand different ways. And uh, as, as we lead up to the Christmas uh, day uh, and the week of Christmas, actually, believe it or not, it's the week of Christmas. If you haven't done your shopping, good luck now. All right. So uh, anyway, yeah, that was for me, too. So uh, anyway, we, uh, we uh, you know, have all these expectations on, on life and what it's going to look like. And one of the things that we have great expectations for is the people in our lives. Lives, don't we? We have great expectations uh, for the people in our lives, and this year, uh, or this time of year in particular, our expectations on those who we love the most are, are probably the greatest right now. We, we expect them to do the right thing. We expect them to buy the right thing. We expect them to be there at the right time. I, I remember one Christmas uh, where my grandparents, our Christmas centered around uh, the fact that my grandparents, my mom and dad would come in every year. We lived, at the time, we lived in Atlanta and they lived in, in the Tampa, Florida area. And I remember one year, I think I was uh, in, in uh, uh, middle school, like seventh or eighth grade. Actually, it must have been eighth grade because that's about when we moved to Atlanta. And uh, I remember that um, my grandparents started traveling from Tampa to Atlanta and they got uh, to the panhandle or, or near the north part of Florida there, and there was, believe it or not, an ice storm in North Florida that year. And I remember that they were delayed, they had to pull over, and, and I remember as a, as a kid, you know, just like wanting them to be there, and they, they weren't there, and there was this expectation of them coming, there was this expectation that they would arrive that they would be there and be there soon, and they weren't there yet, and it was disappointing, and eventually they got there, but it took them much, much longer than they thought um, on the day before Christmas. You probably have had that type of experience where around this time of year, you expect someone to be there at Christmas, and maybe they're not there. Maybe this Christmas season, it's a little bit different because uh, you have someone in your life who you expected to be there, and they're not going to be there this year. We've gone through that these past couple years. My, my wife and I, Cynthia and I, have gone through that, um, and there are people that we want to see this time of year, and we won't get to see them, and I'm sure that you've had that too. But we still have this great expectation on the people around us that they'll be there, that they'll be there for us, that they'll be with us. And we have a great expectation surrounding the relationships that we have. And maybe this year, if you were to really be honest with yourself and honest with God and honest in this place this morning, you would say there are some relationships that are completely fractured. Like it has been an absolute disaster. Something happened in the relationship. And my expectation is that that person or perhaps those people would make a move, that they would come towards me and that that relationship would be restored. 
Maybe you've gone through a friendship or maybe you've gone through a relationship that has been broken and both you and the other person have been party to that break. And this time of year, it just, it hurts a little bit more deeply than it does the rest of the year. Well, today I want to talk about how we can maybe change our expectations in terms of those relationships that are closest to us, those people that are closest to us. But it may not be in the way that we think. Because here's, here's what I want to kind of discover and kind of unpack today in, in just really three kind of, kind of hopeful, hopefully points that you can really take home and utilize today in your lives and with your relationships. But here's one thing I want you to realize is that like we may have this expectation on the people around us. We may have this hope on the people around us and we may do everything that we're going to talk about today. We may take these principles, we may utilize them, and at the end of the day, at the end of the Christmas day, at the end of the Christmas season, at the end of this whole like you know, holiday scene that we have, um, they may not respond, and they may not come through. But here's the hope that you can have, even if that happens this year. The hope that you can have, and the hope that I can have, is even though our greatest expectations may not be met, even though we may do the right thing, you and I can absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will come through and he does come through. And the evidence of that is that he sent his own son, Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. In fact, the whole Christmas season traditionally is called Advent, right? And the word Advent literally means the arrival or the awaiting of the arrival. And during Advent, we have this cool thing that we do in the church because we celebrate the coming Messiah. We celebrate that he has come, but we also have this aspect to the Christmas season that is waiting for his arrival because one day he's going to come and he's going to restore all the problems that we have anyway. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's a sense that we can put our deepest hope in him, even if we do these things that we're going to talk about today, and even if they don't work. Now, here's the whole premise that I want to talk to you about today, is is that um, sometimes when it comes to us and striving to have these great, deep, meaningful relationships, sometimes we need to really be honest and get introspective and realize that we may be the one that the other person is waiting on. We may be the one that we need to make the first move. And so today, uh, I want to talk about what it means to have relentless relationships. And I know some of you are like, man, it's a Christmas season. How in the world did we get to relationships? This makes absolutely no sense. But you know what? God sent Jesus into the world to redeem us from our sins. But he also sent Jesus into the world to restore our relationships and to redeem the most broken thing that you have in your life right now. And so right now, before we dive in, I just want to pray. And I just want to pray that God would guide your heart and guide your mind to that one or two or maybe a group of relationships that you know has been out there for a long time and you're waiting on restoration. So can we pray for that before we dive in this morning? Father God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would guide us. And God, as we think about the redemption that you gave us from our sins, I pray right now that you would help us to have in mind that deep 
relationship that we know that we need to make the first move on. And God, I pray that these principles would be real in our lives today. And I pray that you would give us the courage to utilize them. And God, I pray that the other people or person would respond. And God, I pray that this Christmas season, as we think about waiting on you, God, and we think about what you did through Jesus, I pray that you would help restore even the messiest, darkest, most broken relationship. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How can we be relentless in our relationships? How can we be relentless in our relationships? There are three things I want to talk about today. The first one is so simple, but I want you to realize it's what Jesus did with us. It's what God does with us, and it's, it's centered around the whole idea of having patience. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We naturally give up too soon on people, don't we? I want you to think about a broken relationship that you've had. And I think at the center of that relationship, probably at some point in time, comes this aspect of one person or the other gave up on the relationship. I know some of you are thinking husband and wife relationships. Some of you are thinking girlfriend, boyfriend, that's fine. You may be thinking about, you know, spouse. You may be thinking about those romantic relationships. But I promise you, if you might dig a little bit deeper, I'm sure, and it does apply to those, but I'm sure there are some other relationships where you gave up too soon on the other person. And all of a sudden, everything's all a mess. And all of a sudden, you've unfriended them from Facebook, and you've unadded them from whatever, and Instagram, you've unfollowed, and all of a sudden, everybody's all upset. Social media, you know, you just like, you unfriended me. Like, if that's the worst thing that, like, we're upset about, man, we've got it pretty good, to be honest with you. But we really do get upset about those things, don't we? We really do get upset. And part of the problem is that we give up too soon. And, and, and part of the problem is we give up too soon on the relationship. And so um, I, I want us to take a look at, at, at what we need to do because what we need to do is we need to be patient when it's difficult. We need to be patient when it's difficult. We need to be patient when the other person is going through a deep crisis. I remember a time when um, I had a friend who was um, going through some um, very difficult, dark days. And me being the great friend that I was, I stopped and I, I made some kind of snarky comment about what he was going through and how it affected me. And he stopped and he said, man, I'm so sorry that my problems are affecting you, Todd. And I thought, man, I missed it. I missed it. He's really suffering. He's really hurting here. And you know, if it weren't for God's patience with me, I don't know where I would be. The writer of Proverbs speaks of having patience and loyalty in a friendship and in a relationship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for what? You see, we, God made us to be able to journey with people through adversity. And this time of year, I want you to realize there may be friends or there may be family members that you're sitting with at dinner in a few days. And you may be 
like sitting on the floor or in front of a fireplace when it's 70 degrees out, oddly enough, here, um, and you may be opening presents with, and they may be going through some deep adversity in their life. And Proverbs says that a friend loves um, really only when things are good for them, right? Is that what it says? That we should only love them, that we should only journey with them when things are good? No, it says a friend loves when? At all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Maybe that person right now that you're kind of annoyed with, that's my son's favorite word, by the way. I love it. He's 11 years old. He loves that word. Mainly directed at me, by the way, just so you know. Like maybe the person in your life right now, whether it's a family member or a friend or a spouse, maybe right now like something has happened and you're incredibly annoyed with them. I want to challenge you to think about if God had had that approach with you. If he had been so annoyed with your sin and your failures and your mistakes that he decided that he would not journey with you. See, that's why God can, inspired by his, or send someone like Solomon, inspired by his Holy Spirit to write this to us, that a friend loves at all, ty- uh, all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see it with Ruth and Naomi, um, this, this, this friendship that they have, that a mother-in-law has with her daughter-in-law. And we see in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, where um, Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to return from uh, following you for where you go, I will go and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And she sticks in the game with her. Giving us an example of what it means to be loyal to a friendship and to a relationship. My wife took me years ago because she loves literature and she took me to see the, the, the uh, first of the Lord of the Rings movie. And I was a real knucklehead. And I sat there for three hours and I was like, this is painful. And I can't stand to be hot. And it was in a hot theater and we were at the top of the row. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And I remember going outside and we were with, we were kind of on a double date. This was way before kids. We were married, but it was before kids. And so we were, we were with the, these, uh, this other couple and his name's Aaron. And um, Aaron and I were just like, oh, this is just a painful movie. And so we ended up out in the hallway talking the whole time because we were just so irritated and annoyed at how long this movie was. <laughs> And then I began to realize what the Lord of the Rings is all about. And I began to realize what Tolkien was writing about. And I began to realize this amazing friendship that that we see play out through the whole trilogy in the books and in the movie between Frodo and and Samwise Ganshi and this whole deep friendship where he is with him the whole way. Oh, man. I watched it by myself once, years after that, so just so you know, I got it. We see in Scripture Elijah and Elisha and 
Uh, in 2 Kings 2.2, we have the record of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah says to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. And Elisha, these two great prophets, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I, have, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Again, this idea of, of, of sticking together and, and being loyal even in the midst of crisis. Now, I realize that some of you may be in relationships where um, loyalty um, may, may be something that puts you in danger. And I just want to say this as a disclaimer today. Don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, if you're in one of those types of relationships, I need you to come and talk to me um, confidentially because your church will help you get out of that kind of relationship. If you are in physical danger, you need to get out. And that's a whole message for another time. But beyond that type of relationship, I think we've lost this element of being loyal to some of those deepest friendships that we have. Where can you, in terms of restoring a relationship, practice loyalty? The second thing that I think we have a problem with is not only are we, do we not stay with them through the difficult days, but the second thing that we do is, is that we naturally keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> Man, we love the scoreboard when it comes to keeping a record of wrongs, don't we? We love to point out all the things that we've done right in the relationship. And we may do this in subtle ways. It might, may not be right out there in, in bold print, but it may be in subtle ways. We may suggest it. We may, we may kind of like have an attitude that we're better than the other person or that we've put more into the relationship. And so we keep this record of wrongs and the solution to that problem of keeping record of, a record of wrongs based on what they've done against you and that they've done um, that has ruined the relationship and what you've done to help the relationship or to help them is to be willing to forgive, period. Ephesians, the writer of Ephesians, Paul, encourages us on this. He says this in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then in verse 31, he comes to it and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Don't forget that at Christmas, we should be reminded of all that God did in forgiving us. There's a direct link from Christmas to Easter. There's a connection from the manger to the cross. Because God sent his son in the form of a child who was born, let's just call it what it is, in a barn. And 33 years later, he would die on a wooden cross. All because he was willing to forgive us of our sins. And Paul says, with that in mind, as God in Christ forgave you, we should be kind and we should be people of forgiveness. Maybe the relationship that you just prayed about, maybe the relationship that God just brought to your mind, maybe the depth 
of the issue, of the gap, of the expectations that you and the other person have exist because forgiveness has not happened. Paul also, in the letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae, says this in Colossians 3, 12, and 13. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Once again, we see the patience theme in verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so we have this loyalty problem that I think can be undone through patience. And we have this record of wrongs issue in our society and in our relationships today. And I think that can be done undone through the forgiveness that God demonstrated on the cross. And then lastly today, we have this idea of selfishness. And I know I talk a lot about this, but Paul writes about it so much. And Jesus talks about it so much. And we naturally, the problem is, is that we naturally think of ourselves first, don't we? Let's be honest, man. It's church. Be honest this morning. We naturally think of ourselves first, don't we? Like in just about every situation, in just about everything that we kind of have in our minds that begin to set up, listen to this, the expectations that we have on people. I I don't know about you. I, I really hope that I'm not the only one, but my natural inclination is to always set those expectations based on something that I want. That's our natural inclination as people. We don't need to feel guilty or ashamed of that. That's human nature. That's part of how we were born. We're all that way. And so we naturally think of ourselves first, and the solution is to be selfless in every situation. And Jesus, in Luke 6, verses 27 through 33, talked about how we can love our enemies. And I realize that today, the relationship that you might have prayed about just a minute ago, the relationship where there's a gap, where there's this this, restoration that certainly needs to take place, you may not label them as an enemy, but in some respects, that relationship has become a bit of an enemy. Or at least the depth of the gap. And Jesus says this. He says, I say to you, this is Luke 6, 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Wow. That's a tall order, isn't it? That's a tall order. He says in verse 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. That means give to the one who is taken from you. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? I love that verse right there. That sums it up. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit 
is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like it's easy to love people who love us, isn't it? I, I told you last week about um, at my hometown, Atlanta, won uh, its first championship in, uh, it's since I've been married, which is a long time, 23 years. And uh, last week, and someone said this week commentating about the Atlanta United soccer team, well, Atlanta's all excited about this soccer team, but wait till they have a couple losing seasons and watch what happens. Like Debbie Downer, thanks. But he was right. It's true, isn't it? It's easy to love people who love us. What's difficult and what's hard, but what also follows the model of what Jesus did with us is to love people who have done us wrong. And in verse 33, he ends it. He says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Here's what I want you to hear today, church. In God's economy, he chose to do good to us even though we have not done good to him. Even though we've rebelled, even though we've walked in disobedience, even though we have sinned against him, he did good to us and he sent Jesus, he sent the Christ child and Christmas season is not a reminder of just all the lights and all the gifts and all the excitement and all the dinners and all the stuff. It should be for us, it should be for you and for me, for those of us who are here today in the sound of my voice who call ourselves Christ followers, it should be a stark reminder that we should operate in the patience and the forgiveness and the selflessness that we have been dealt with from God. Because he sent his son for the purpose of dying on the cross for you and for me. And so today, if um, you're a little bit nervous because maybe this week, at the end of this week, and after you come to one of the four Christmas Eve, there's a shameless plug there, services next week. And you have to sit down with someone that maybe there's been some distance. And maybe there's a friend that you know that you're going to see this week because they're in town or you're going to be in their town. And you know that you're going to encounter them, or perhaps you may not know it, but maybe you just experience it this week. It just happens. Be reminded that maybe it's not their move. Maybe it's your move. See, the gap between our expectations and our reality may never close if we wait on the other person to make that first move. The gap between our expectations when it comes to relationships and reality, that distance, that damage, that hurt, that pain, it may not close if we simply wait for them to move. Maybe it's our move. Maybe it's your move this Christmas season to do what God did for you. And that is to offer patience and forgiveness and selflessness to restore some of the most meaningful relationships you may have in your life. I want you to consider what might happen if you actually are the one to make the first move. If you are the one to actually act first. 
it might happen that that's all that person needed to accept forgiveness or to offer it back. It might be all that it takes for that family relationship to be restored finally. It may just very well be the thing that provides them healing as well. You making the first move. Years ago in 1744, Charles Wesley wrote a prayer. He based it on Haggai's prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it's part of the reason that we celebrate the Advent season is because we're waiting for him to come one day again. But we have hope and we have promise because of what he's done in the past. And and Wesley, Charles Wesley, wrote this prayer, and later that year, in 1744, listen to this, 1744, he made that prayer into a hymn that we still sing today, even in our postmodern world, and we are going to sing it today. And here's the prayer, and here's how I want to end today. Born your people to deliver, born a child, yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now your gracious kingdom bring. By your own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By your all-sufficient merit, raise us to your glorious throne. Father God, I pray today that you would lead us and that you would guide us. And that the expectations, the great expectations that we might have in those relationships in our lives that might be fractured, that might be strained, that may even be broken significantly. God, I pray that you would reveal to us in this moment the truth that you made the first move for us. That as the world waited for the coming Messiah, You acted and you sent your son. As we needed redemption, as we needed forgiveness, as we needed patience, you, God, were willing to send us forgiveness and you were willing to send us patience in the form of your son. And God, I pray that you would help us to make the connection between the manger and the cross that Jesus came not to just start a holiday where we get together and open presents and see a lot of lights and things around us that make us warm and happy. God, you sent Jesus for a very specific purpose. You sent your son to die. You sent him in this form that was so different than what the world expected, yet you knew exactly what you were doing. And God, I pray for each one of us in the relationships that you revealed to us at the beginning of this message. God, as we have great expectations on those friendships, on those relationships with that other person, God, I pray that you would help us to be people who act in our current relationships with patience and forgiveness and selflessness. And God, that we would be people who, like you, make the first move to restore the relationships that may be broken. That we would step up to the plate. That we would initiate. That we would be the first ones, just like you were, to 
offer us redemption. God, help us to have the courage and the confidence to go to that other person or people and ask for forgiveness, to offer patience and love and kindness, and to be completely selfless in our motives and in our approach. God, we thank you so much that the one that we awaited, the one that you sent, sent with patience and kindness and forgiveness with us. God, we thank you so much for the Christ child. We thank you for these words that Wesley wrote all those years ago and that we echo today. God, we give you this Christmas season. May you be pleased with how we treat others. In your name we pray. Amen.